This is an ABC podcast. People think that women have no right to speak in front of big gatherings or in decision making. And there are so many eligible women who are very educated, who are very good leaders, and yet they're not given the platform. So I feel like when women are increased in parliament, there will be better decisions made. They think that if you're a man, you should stand for public office. And if you're a woman, you know, public office, it's just not something for you. But after you know, having these conversations, especially at a rural level, you see that women are now, you know, their minds are opening up. When they see money, they go crazy. And the, the men in Ayenga, where I contested, the men know the weakness of the people, so they go in with money and they, they just brainwash all the villages. And that's something that I, that was a huge challenge for me, a huge threat for me. Seven. That's the number of women who've been elected to Papua New Guinea's parliament in its 47-year history. Yes, I said seven. Papua New Guineans head to the national polls in June 2022. And the question is, will this be the election for women to shine in a society known for its deeply entrenched patriarchy? Last year, there was a glimmer of hope when the ruling political party elected its first ever woman president. But there are claims that some male candidates are using underhanded tactics to keep women out. I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about the political plight of Papua New Guinean women. The Pacific Islands has the lowest rate of women in parliament in the world. And Papua New Guinea is one of the few countries in the region with no women holding office. As I've already pointed out, only seven women have been elected to parliament since independence in 1975. A proposal that would have seen five seats reserved for women was officially shelved earlier this year when the government announced that quotas would not be introduced in time for this election. Women candidates have always had fewer chances of getting elected, and there are many reasons for this, apart from women's place in PNG society. There are also claims it's due to tactics to keep them out. Vote buying, voter intimidation, election-related gun violence, and the lack of endorsement from political parties. Someone who knows exactly how difficult it is for women to run in the elections is G.J. Milley, an academic and expert in Papua New Guinea politics. She says getting equal representation is the key issue for women in the upcoming election. If we want to address the other issues that affect all citizens, it's very important to have both views from men and women as well. So in my view, I feel like the most important thing right now is to um, have uh, more women representation in parliament. And TJ, just... To share with our listeners all, of, all over the Pacific and maybe anyone listening around the world, just give us a brief history of women in politics in Papua New Guinea. Uh, what has mm. it been like almost 50 years of independence now? In terms of women's representation in PNG, um, we don't have that much of a good track record. Since 1975-1976, we have about seven women that have um, been in parliament and that's nearly just over 40 years of um, independence and we still don't have, um, you know, equal women and equal gender representation in parliament. In PNG, we have a very, 
we have matrilineal societies, but it's very patriarchal in the sense that men are in positions of leadership um, and are recognized more in public spaces. And women are often placed in the private sphere away from the public eye. But I would say that over the last 40 years, and this year will probably be 45, 46 years, we see that there's a big improvement in terms of women being in leadership positions in different sectors of society, but in parliament where national decisions are made for the country, we still don't have women representation. So I feel like it's something that must be put at the top, like a priority, given priority, um, to see that we have more women, more girls in, in um, positions of leadership. JJ, you and I are both from Papua New Guinea, and this time of the uh, country's calendar, uh, the national elections, are, I don't know, some of people just get so excited. And um, mm. uh, there's, you know, what we've seen so far, social media and people posting online, there's indications of vote buying. And when we have traditional ceremonies, some you know, members or intending candidates uh, you just go way over the top with mm-hmm. um, customary um, obligations to their communities or maybe voters. Is that the way um, male MPs, you think, sway voters? In the last um, nine elections, I would say that our track record in terms of violence during elections, um, in terms of corruption, vote buying, bribery of election officials, or just like swaying or impacting negatively the political system or the election system has been, I feel like I would say the truth is that it is in critical situation. It's not something that uh, we should color and butter up and try to make look good in front of the rest of the world and the rest of the Pacific. I feel like situation in PNG is very dire and needs critical look and needs help. Like we have to make the system safe for women to vote. We have to make it safe and um, it has to be fair because right now it's not. And and it's really sad to say, but that's that's what it is now. And how do you think customary practices or vote buying, how do you think that influences the voting women in their families? Are women intimidated through this means? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll just give you an example. Like I've, I've seen when I've been doing observation of elections that people sell their votes or they already they are bought out by certain candidates for their first vote, second vote. So like, let's be honest, in elections, women are very disadvantaged because women don't have the financial capacity to be able to you know, support their campaign. I'm not saying that they should have the financial capacity to bribe people. That's that's a no. But the fact of the matter is that there are men out there that have lots of money and are able to sway the results of election because they buy voters. That's a very important point. And why do you think these practices have not been stamped out uh, in your view? So I would say, in my view, the two most important thing is action from the government. Just look at now. We wait until it's election year, a couple of months before election, and then we decide to start funding the police and start doing funding the Electoral Commission and other organizations. It's very important that the government needs to start right at the beginning, maybe two, three years, and start strengthening these sectors. I'm just really disappointed that every year after year, election after election, we wait until just a few months 
before elections and we start um, addressing these things that are important for our people and for our democracy. And TJ, if there were uh, more women in politics in PNG, what difference would this make for PNG? The difference that I feel would be made is that we would be represented equally in terms of gender. And secondly, people feel like, you know, in, in PNG culture, it's very cultural. Um, and people think that women have no right to speak in front of, you know, in big gatherings or in decision making. And there are so many eligible women who are very educated, who are very good leaders, and yet they're not given the platform. So I feel like if women are increased in parliament, there will be better decisions made. And and it's not in PNG only. We see different countries that have women as the head of state or head of government, and they make great decisions for their country and work well with them, their male colleagues and bring about good change and good change and development in their communities and country. Uh, women candidates I've spoken to, they feel a sense of hopelessness. Uh, what mm. can the community do to encourage change and not only only the community, but political parties, let's say, uh, and also leaders to encourage more women participation in the elections this time around? I get that many women will feel hopeless. They have a sense of hopelessness just because of their current situation. And, and that's understandable. So in my view, I would think that those men in the in parliament it is their responsibility to start talking about equality it can't be something that they just talk about in in theory and not put into practice you know they need to be out there telling their communities that it is important for us to have women represented in parliament so if it's members of parliament then that's good if it's um civil society organizations whatever institutions are around it's important that we have to reinforce this view that it is important for, to have women in parliament it is important to have fair and equal representation that's dj milly an expert in political science at the university of papua new guinea who wants to see fairer elections and better representation of women in the parliament You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. Monica Nita ran in the last election in 2017 as a candidate for the Kandap Open Electorate in Anger Province. During her campaign, she says she saw gun violence, vote buying and voter intimidation. Will she be running again this year? I really want to contest this year, but due to logistics and finance and due to other things that I need to support and back me up. I, from the last election that I went, I've done too much that I, I'm still recovering from, you know, my business and I got loans attached, mortgages attached, and um, I need another five years to recoup myself and uh, pay off my debts and loans before I think of contesting in the next election. And definitely 2027, I'm looking at contesting, this time not in the village, but in the city. What has been your experience like in the 2017 election when you contested? Very challenging. 42 men, and I was the only female candidate. And in my electorate in Enga province, uh, women are classified as secondary. You know, they're supposed to stay in the house, do gardening, give birth to a child, look after the garden, look after the pigs. All the responsibility is for the women. And women are supposed to take the leadership role and stay in the front line, like uh, solving mediation and solving issues and talking to, you know, social uh, community-related issues that arise. Women must always take the back seat. 
And for me to go and contest among the 42 men, I'm the only female candidate, that was an eye-opener in the electorate. And I went to win, but I won in the other in, on the other side, meaning that I won in the hearts and minds of people in the electorate, where they thought women are secondary, women are tertiary, where they're supposed to be in the garden with pigs, food, childbearing, supposed to be a uh, first, second, third wife for a leader or a woman in a society. I change, I break that, and I won the hearts of people that women are not to be treated as secondary or third. They, the woman can be educated, and a woman like me from that electorate, if I can be educated, if I am a single mother, I raise my kids, three kids, four kids, single-handedly. I work in the city. I got educated. I run business. If I can do it, all the girls in Enga can do it. So I've changed the mindset of people, and I won on that aspect. Now, as we speak, every village is in the electorate. They are saying that send all the girls to school. Girls are not meant for staying in the house and getting married and going to become second, third, fourth wife to a polygamist or be, be raising pigs and doing gardening. No, girls can become like Monica Nita. If she can do it, I think our girls can do it. And we were wrong in us getting treating ladies to be secondary or tertiary in the society, in the community. Good on you. Going back to the 2017 election, what was it like for you personally when you were up against not only, I mean, you were very well qualified, but to see men come in their material possessions and everything, what was it like for you? Oh, that was, this is something that is a challenge in PNG that that will be our distracting factor for women will never go into parliament because of men coming with all kinds of wealth in wealth in terms of cars, number of cars. They come in number of guns, you know, they come in number of monies. I don't know where they get all the money from. This is just crazy, you know, seeing men coming day and night, you know, they can maneuver, they can just go around. Like I was going around in one car. That's all I had. And I had a little budget financially that I budgeted for the entire campaign to polling, to counting, and then I came back. But for them, I, I tell you, we women in PNG will always not be equal on the playing field when it comes to politics and campaigning, uh, the entire polling, anti-counting, everything. We will never ever even playing field of politics. No, never. The men, when they come in, they come with everything. They come with ego. They come with power. They come with resource. They come with money. They come to make sure that they get power. And by hook or crook, they want to suppress the law, the democratic process. They want to use the, all the resources that they have, and they want to get it. And they manipulate the people in the village because people in the villages are not well-vested with looking at visions and, you know, directions and plans and all this. It's nothing. They, 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 their ways of living in the village is completely different from us living in the city or educated people going to politics to win and to serve the people. Villages, they plant cow-cow, they live in darkness, they got fresh water, they got fresh food garden. When they see money, they go crazy. And the, the men in Ienga, where I contested, the men know the weakness of the people, so they go in with money and they, they just brainwash all the villages. And that's something that, I, that was a huge challenge for me, a huge threat for me. Again, in 2017 elections, there were reports of conflicts, of violence and all that. Uh, was that that, that uh, result that came out of your electorate as well? Was there violence? Oh, every day. We, I was campaigning. Campaign time was violence. Polling time, violence was 70, 80% on high violence. Because that's the time, actually, they were manipulating with money and gun. And, and violence, violence was everywhere. From what you've experienced, would you say that democratic process of elections, are they unfair during this time, uh, especially with regards to how women participate, not only as a candidate, but voters as well? The democratic process of uh, voting in PNG, in the village even, they told me it was dead uh, in the past three, four elections ago. 
because people come in there, they come with uh, money and gun and resource, and they just want to get it and they want to get out. It's just something like a, a greasy pole, you know, in the greasy pole, they put a million kina up there on the, you know, top of the greasy pole. So by Uko Krug, these people, you know, they, especially the men, people, men, men with money, and, you know, they got support and they, they just want to go in there, climb up the greasy pole. How you, they, they just want to reach the one million kina that is on the top of the greasy pole. And by Uko Krug, they want to get that. So you see, as a woman, how do I reach on the greasy pole? Mm. The greasy pole is already it's greasy for me as a female that I cannot climb up, you know? Already I'm doing something that in society in Enga, women don't climb a greasy pole, but I was, I, I volunteered to climb because I want to serve the people because I saw the need, the desire of the woman at large because men were not providing the service that needs to go back. It never reached the people because all the men that get voted in Enga, they stay in Mosby and people suffer for the five years. You see, I saw that. It, it, in Enga, it's so crazy. I don't know other parts of Papua New Guinea, but Enga, for women, you know, I ran, I was playing on the field with the guys and the playing field is so not even fair. It's like 5%. I was at the 5% and the 95% were hired with men. Uh, every election, even in the Western Islands or everywhere, we hear reports of vote buying and corruption during elections. Have you witnessed Anything like this um, during your time campaigning and also contesting? I saw it and I was in there. I saw everything happening with my eyes. Everything, what they say is very true. Nothing in PNG is democratic. It's just like a dictatorship. The person with the money runs off with the winning. Everybody else, I'm sorry, even men too. When we were campaigning around, people were already buying the votes. That's, you know, place of vote where my, my cousins and uncles are supposed to get and give them money. Or they, when there's an issue, you know, activity going on, the person with the money comes and contributes the highest. Like maybe I can contribute the 500 kina, but the person with the money contributes 5,000 kina. So all my families, they follow the highest with the 5,000 and poor me with 500, I'm left with nothing. Wow, that is so unfair. Mm. We've seen, you know, lots of reports coming out of mostly the Highlands provinces. You know, this really uh, sophisticated guns and so forth. Does owning guns by candidates increase their chances of success during elections? Definitely, because people are scared of guns. The people in the village got bush knife and uh, bow and arrow and axe. They can make do with it. But the gun, they know that gun power is, is so powerful. You know, the gun can shoot them. So out of fear, people are being surprised. There's no democratic right in voting in Enga province. Let me say that clearly. I mean, I'm talking for Enga. That's where the electorate that I contested. Gun is something that every villagers are scared of gun. You know, they are, the, the, the fear that people in the village have with gun, I tell you, it's something else. You, you will feel really sorry for them. I sympathize with them. And the, and the intending candidates, and full of them, among the majority of them, there are a couple of them, they come with gun. And when I say gun, I powered gun. Monica, what do you hope for women in politics in PNG? And this is my cry that one day Papua New Guinea will have women politicians, half of the population, half of the parliamentarian uh, becoming women for the good of the nation. And that will be the day PNG will really see light at the end of the tunnel. Right now, we will still live in poverty, in pain, because the people that go into the parliament are not voted in the just and fair democratic process. Every one of them, I think, if it's happening in Enga province, I think everyone else come in that way as well. And that's a sad, it's the sad thing in PNG, but you know, it's, it's my prayer. And as a mother, as a single mother, I just pray that one time this will change. So my kids that I'm raising, their family will live in a peaceful uh, country called Papua New Guinea. And democratic process is being set. 
I really hope Monica Nietzsche's wish comes true and that we start seeing women in Papua New Guinea's parliament. And could we even dream of true female representation after parliament? Emma Minimbi is a lawyer and aspires to one day enter politics. Emma herself has witnessed excessive financial payments during traditional ceremonies. She has been working tirelessly to empower local women's voices in her community and remind them that, like men, they have every right to work in the country's corridors of power. For Emma, this starts at the grassroots level and often plays out at small weekly meetings. I tell women that the right to stand for public office is not limited to men. Under the constitution, it doesn't say only men can stand for public office. It says citizens, which includes women as well. I think a lot of women don't know that. They think that, well, if you're a man, you should stand for public office. And if you're a woman, public office, it's just not something for you. After you know, having these conversations, especially at a rural level, you see that women are now, their, their minds are opening up. They see that they can stand for public office if they wanted to, if they feel that they have the capacity to lead and um, to bring about change in their particular communities, especially with a focus on local level government elections, um, where rural women would like to see more women in their communities hold that position to make their communities better for women and girls, which are often left behind when men are making decisions for them because the decisions aren't necessarily you know, geared towards inclusivity. They don't make decisions that have that gender aspect in it. So it's more so male-oriented policies or decisions made that affect women. But um, it's always the men who are you know, at the forefront of it. So I usually uh, give them examples that they can follow easily just to get them to think about the kind of candidate they want representing them or giving them a voice in parliament. Emma, does it sadden you to think that after almost 50 years of independence, women are still thinking this way? Oh, yeah, I think they do. And I think it's deeply rooted in our culture and in our custom of women as being secondary to men. And that affects women, especially how they think and perceive their place in our society and the right to vote and stand for public office. Women think that, you know what, this is a man's world. They're just there like a backline support of sorts. You know, whilst talking to ordinary rural, you know, mothers and, and young women in the village who are mostly subsistence farmers and, you know, they do the little selling of food to get whatever little income they can make. And they think that this, this is it. Beyond this, there's nothing more that I can offer. And I, I tell them, like, that's not true. You were naturally born to multitask. You can bring in money income into the household at the same time, take care of your children, put food on the table clothes and wash the clothes, keep the house clean, look after livestock. You're naturally born leaders. You just don't realize it. You know, the way I see it, women have always been powerful people, like powerful. And we've done so much, but we don't get enough credit for it. And when I celebrate women in my village, I see them. They're, they're happy to be acknowledged. If we can change the mindsets of women based in the rural parts of the country, we could really see a shift in you know, voting patterns. Are women enthusiastic? Are they looking forward to the elections this time around? I think on the ground, I've noticed a lot of people just, I don't want to use the word giving up hope, because that would be terrible for us as a country if you've got people who don't want to participate in voting. That, that A lot of people have 
that, look, I don't think my vote's going to be worth anything this election because a lot of people have this idea in their minds that the elections are rigged. And I'm not sure where this idea came from. And I'm trying to investigate people to, you know, like, it doesn't matter. As long as you vote, you know that you've taken part in the electoral process. So, Emma, this this is this one thing that normally happens. You and I are both from the Highlands and we know what happens around elections where, you know, exorbitant amounts of money are contributed abnormally, you know, abnormal contributions during an election period. What is it like and what have you seen? So the end of last year and since January up till now, I've witnessed a spike in, you know, for the amount of money that is being contributed at house price, at bread prices or any compensation event that's happening. You fought all these intending candidates, um, even though the writs haven't been issued. Usually what happens is they'll send either they'll turn out in person and give amounts of money and livestock, or they'll send someone who represents them, like a relative or someone, to go to that particular tribe and give them money and pig and, and other things of value, just so that when the time comes for the writs to be issued and it's time for you um, campaigning and elections, the people that have been receiving, you know, the money and the livestock will now feel like they're obligated or they have a debt to the person who helped them out at their most difficult time. So, for instance, if there's a debt somewhere in another neighboring tribe, the intending candidate will either turn up in person or send a relative. And instead of giving the usual contribution of 1,000 kina and a pig, they'll end up giving like five to 10,000 kina, maybe three or four pigs. And I really don't know if the Electoral Commission has anything in place to stop candidates from doing this. And I think this is where the you know, intending candidates use custom to serve their own purpose or their own needs. Are there any uh, women candidates contesting in your electorate? From the top of my head, I don't think so. I still haven't heard anything. I'm, I'm just waiting on the risk to be issued to, to see who will be contesting and so I'm from the Angling Southward electorate, which is really big. Um, the border stretches from one side, it borders with Western Highlands, and it ends with symbols. So you can imagine the landmass, and that's, that's a really big landmass. But maybe from the Southwagi side, there might be a few women who will be putting their hands up. But I know from the Angling side, I haven't heard anything yet. And Emma, yourself, you mobilize and you do advocacy and you're really down to earth, connected with your people. Would you try to contest? I think if I were to contest, it would be probably after like five years because I really feel like I have more to do with my people and I just I just want to be in the community for a bit and give back to my community, help them until I feel like they're doing better off before I decide to put my hand up because once you get into parliament, you're not now looking at just one community. You're looking at like 30, 40 communities just like your own and you really need to learn how to you know, spread out all the resources to cover everyone. What inspiring words from Emma Minibi, who is taking the time to educate her local community about politics and empowering them to lift up their voices and play an active role in democracy. At the end of the day, voting and being elected to the parliament is their constitutional right. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. It's wonderful to hear the promise and passion of Papua New Guinea's voting women today. While the country has had seven female MPs in its history, there is a growing chorus of concern among women who are sick of being treated as second-class citizens. Change won't happen overnight. As G.J. Mealy, Emma Minimbi and Monica Nita pointed out, 
men have a considerable advantage over women during campaigns, with allegations of using violence, voter fraud and bribery to end their political ambitions. But there is hope. With Papua New Guineans going to the polls soon, there is an opportunity for women to make their case and for men to step aside and to ensure a fairer society for all. Thank you so much for joining me. Hilda Wayne for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, catch up on our podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can listen to Sisters Let's Talk on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is S-I-S-T-A-S at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, how accessible is birth control for women across the region? When women are able to use contraceptives, then they are better empowered. Girls are able to stay in school. They're able to get an education. They're able to get empowered to get jobs and then be able to provide provide for their families. And then we're able to lift the levels of our women across uh, uh, globally and especially in the Pacific. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented by me, Hilda Wayne. It's produced by Melissa Macon. Our supervising producer is Inge Stunzner. Executive producer is Justine Kelly. And our commissioning editor is Ilaria Walker. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. I'm Tasol Nabungimu next time.